Sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Good Tuesday, Jay Sandos. Mike Gallagher, another edition of Sandos and the Sidekick. We'll be recapping the game Saturday against the Furman Paladins. Talk about our bold predictions where we are on a hot streak, baby. You better pay attention to these bold predictions. Wins galore. You got to pay attention. I mean, we are racking them up. Getting dubs. And then a new segment. We'll talk about it in a minute. Okay. Let's just, okay. I like it. I'm excited like it. about the new segment. Attention needs to build drama. We're all, all about right. drama on this show. Speaking of drama, tell the two halves. CTSU dominant in the first half. Fair to say Furman dominant. Maybe had a little help here and there, but uh, it was. Uh, was it really a tale of two halves, or was it like the tale of a half, a quarter, and then a stalemate in the fourth? Like, it was very odd. Uh, yeah, a half, a quarter, some flags, and a, a stalemate. How about that? Can we go Lots a step flags. further? It was. Lots of flags. It was not uh, a banner day for the Bob Johnson crew, as uh, I don't have to tell. Buck Nation as they blew up uh, Twitter and SoCon Sports and Commission, everybody. I think it was Casey Wilkins, Buccaneer diehard on Twitter often, said it was the worst officiated game he had ever seen in his life. I don't know if it meets that standard for me, um, but I can't think of another game off the top of my head where I was like, wow, there were at least four or five calls right off the top that I could think of that were game changers, big, bad, horrible calls. Cannot wait. Wednesday coaches show to ask Coach Sanders because last year I asked if he talked to the you know head of officials or sent in plays and what he get and he goes yep and he said uh, you know told them sorry they missed it and next show what they say yep sorry they missed it and after the third show he goes you know I'm tired of I'm sorry so how about we just get one right and I feel like he's in the same boat uh, that he was uh, last year unfortunately for ETSU and it was the uh, course the big one and there are plenty to to talk about and Furman um, certainly had some that they wanted to talk about their crew afterwards but the one that had everybody baffled including Furman's crew and newspaper tv type folks that are supposed to be non-biased was the face mask that somehow went against ETSU on number zero when when number zero grabbed Mike Price by the face mask, threw him down right in front of the referee. Referee threw the flag. They called number zero. It was Elijah Juan Pinkleton. Right, who's 30 yards down the field. Right. Um, and then marked off uh, against CTSU, and then nothing was said. And it was like, okay. And then, you know, later, because um, we have sideline reporter, we got Robert down there, and we have an official that charts all the things. They eventually wrote that the penalty was on 15, which was Porter, who was also down the field with Pinkleton. So I'm not real sure, um, you know, I'm sure we'll get the obligatory, yeah, we missed that, but great. You know, what, what, what does that do? It's, it's, it's always too little too late when any of that happens. I mean, it's not like they're going to go replay the game and respot the ball. And I mean, like, it's just, it is over. It is unfortunate that that is, um, you know, again, I felt like ETSU, and I don't know that ETSU in 18, it was the benefit of penalties as much as just weird things happening. And maybe there was a penalty here or there that went their way. I mean, again, things happen sometimes that go your way. We've seen in basketball, right? Like, there's a call that, you know, tends to maybe go your way on further review that didn't go your way. And, you know, you make your own breaks. You play with it. You play through it, right? So, I thought that was interesting. But the fight for ETSU at the end of the fourth quarter, especially defensively, because Furman had a chance to just put the game out of reach third down held, fourth down held. Robinson, apparently after the whistle blew to stop forward progress, strips the ball, but still ETSU has the ball. Um, and then they pick up an unsportsmanlike and a false start. Uh, and so I don't know that the ball would have been any cla- – that would have been the – I would refuse to believe that would have been – in the books it would have said 99 yards. But there could not have humanly possible been a longer drive in the history of ETSU athletics no. than if they could have scored on that one. It looked like it was on the literal, like, one-inch line, one-centimeter line, and after those couple of penalties, it went back to, like, the one-millimeter line. I mean, it was absolutely unbelievable. The smallest unit of measurement you can think of. Whenever Joe Schreiber went to snap the ball, when he touched it in any direction, it was, like, right on top of the goal line. I mean, it it was incredible. The two, for me, that were the biggest, and this is just what I don't understand, we have instant replay for a reason, right? We've gotten over the last couple of years in the Southern Conference. So when Devin Wynn goes for his, I believe it was his first touchdown, right? Was it the 11-yarder? Yeah. Where right in the beginning of the half, he you know, bursts through the middle, kind of goes right, and 
Looks like he's going to get in the end zone for sure. And then all of a sudden, ETSU, a couple bodies at him, and he reaches the ball out. And it's stripped, much like in that fourth quarter, fourth and goal. And they don't even hold the extra point to see where the ball was. They don't review it. They don't even give time to review it. The extra point team just comes out for Furman, and they kick the extra point, and that's it. Why don't you hold and look at it? That Every score and turnover is supposed to be reviewable, right? Yep. And, and when that happened, I'm trying to think. I don't even remember looking at the green hat. Generally, the cue is the green hat walks out there. They don't necessarily stop it. They just don't let you snap it until the green hat gets the confirmation from up top. You know, there might be a 10-second delay or he nods or whatever. But I didn't even, I, honestly, no I, did, I, did, I didn't even pay attention to that whatsoever. I thought it was close. And now, we had the multiple angles on TV side, and there was certainly nothing instantly that looked like it would be able to overturn it. So there's that. But at least get every angle because there's a lot of them in the building. Well, there's two. there are three camera angles that the TV crew does not have access to that strictly go to the replay. Even board. better. And – both goal lines are two of the three cameras. So there, there is a uh, – only because I had to work on getting the wiring and set up the purchase order to get that done. There's no reason I know that I can tell you where those are on the particular goal line. And there's one on the, the, the end zone towards the scoreboard, south end zone. It is actually on the home side. If you go towards the grassy knoll headed towards the north end zone, it's actually on the other side. Which is even better because he was closer to that side, and the ball would have been completely visible from that. So maybe that angle showed it was in no doubt. Looked really close to me. I don't know how you don't hold that. And then in the fourth quarter, I didn't go back and watch myself. I know that you went and watched some. But on that play, a couple of people told me that rewatched it after the fact, that there was no whistle that blew at any point. And so the fact that they called forward progress stopped and the play was dead and that's why you didn't let Tyree Robinson go and race the other way, which what would have been obviously a game-changing play, possibly could have won the game for ETSU, 99 yards for a touchdown. Something about being around the goal line for Furman at William B. Green Jr. Stadium in this series is just very uh, seemingly bad for them. Um, they, they come close, and then uh, whether it's pushed up against their own end zone or going for a touchdown, um, some weird things happen. Unfortunately, neither of them went for ETSU this time. But I really think of those two, you said game-changing, maybe biggest call was the face mask. I think the most egregious one was the face mask because that was a clear miss on every aspect. But the two that could have changed the game most, I thought right by the goal line as Hamp Sisson and Devin Wynn were going in for, uh, well, Wynn was a touchdown, and Sisson tried to reach for it. Yeah, and I think the, the reason I went with that because it was still 10 nothing right, when the face mask happened. And it was a 30-yard swing, and then two plays later they score. And I felt like it was demoralizing that the defense was still confused. Again, yes, it's easy. You know, we, we say it all the time on Brock. You know, you got to play the next play, all that, all that good fun stuff. But if you're on the field and you just had something go against you that everyone saw it the other way and announced as the other player but marked off the one way, it's just hard, I think, to to go. And so – for me, that one was for the simple reason of would they have scored at that point, and then how did that change the game moving forward? Because it would have been back at, what, the 35 then, right, if they got the call correct, because I think when went out about right around the 20. Right, yeah. so, you know, they you know they get to the 10 because it was half the distance. They got to the 10, I think it was. Um, I don't think they got to the 5, right? It was to the 10. And the 11-yard TD, so, yeah, I guess they would have got Okay, yeah. Well, was it the next, it might have been whatever, the next play. Right. It might have been. Okay, so he scored the next play. So, again, I think that's the, you know, you're trying to figure out what the heck was on with the call, all that. So, to me, that was big because it immediately led to the first score for Furman and momentum at that point. Then I think ETSU eventually settled down with the drive at the end of the third. It carried into the fourth quarter. That unfortunately just led to a field goal at that point. But that drive kind of settled everybody down. And then it just got to where it was a rock fight and, you know, three-place punt, three-place punt, three-place punt. Then Furman hit the big play on the big run. They were able to go um, down the field and get it to the one. I thought the other big play of the game, because I did go back and rewatch this play on purpose, the second down – play action to Julian Lane Price that was thrown a little behind him on the slant. If that ball was thrown in front of him, 
the safety. It was one. It was the, one of the few times they played single high safety. It looked like one on one to the end zone. Right? I, he wouldn't have got him. Yeah. There is no way because the state the safety actually took a step to his left, watching the replay again, mm-hmm. not knowing Price was coming the other way, and that little hesitation, Price would have been by his shoulder. We know he's a speedster, and there was nobody else there. He would have easily raced and galloped, if you will, into the end zone with ease. So. Um, that being said, that was ball, unfortunate. Yes, a little it, behind. It was. It was catchable when you're rewatching. Still, it. it's yeah, yeah. But if it's put, and and he, I don't think Rydell made too many egregious throws. I think he threw balls away when he should have. I think maybe the only one I would have wished he wouldn't have would have been the third down on the last drive because you just got to try to make something happen at that point. Um, you know, even if you run around, you just let do something else, but. That was the only one. I think the other throws, for the most part, you know, if he threw it away, he was throwing it away to avoid pressure, smart decision. You know, and on that third down as well, he also got that was the weird intentional grounding, which I'm not sure. I mean, I knew he threw it over the guy's head, and it was quote-unquote uncatchable, but I thought as long as he was in the area. But it doesn't matter. They they didn't convert on fourth down. But that, that second down play was one of the big ones I thought as well because I really thought, Price was going to be able to grab that and go. And then, honestly, the, the next drive, there was a ball thrown that Price should have caught. And then the safety came over the top and ended up kind of knocking it away. But that's a ball I think he wish even Price, Lane Price, wish he would have held onto at midfield. That would have kept that drive going. That was so, a tough one because there were two guys. It was. There. That it, was, was it was. It was. But that, that one was more on target in the middle of the body catch. And it was as the – corner kind of made it. The safety kind of came over the top and just punched it. I mean, it was and a nice Adele had to it, throw it where he did because there was that. It was a, everything about that was a good football play. Rydell's throw, Price trying to catch it, the corner had the coverage, and yeah. the safety came over the top and punched the ball out with a yeah. fist. I mean, it was one of those where it's like it was really hard to find something wrong with the play. It was just a good football play all the way around. So, um, I, here's one other thing. Well, well, here's what I want to say for Furman's side, because I think that they would point to a big play, and now it didn't end up mattering in the game because they were able to hold, and their defense has been unbelievable in the second half. I said it a couple of times on ESPN side, but I think it's 11 of the last 13 games now that they've allowed 150 yards or less mm-hmm. in the second half. I mean, it's pretty incredible. So there was a lot of good work done on Furman's side defensively. I think that they would point to the halfback pass, fourth down, Trey Foster goes out right, and throws it ends up being uh, incomplete and looks like it's going to be change of possession, turnover on downs, and they call the roughing the passer, and it seemed like it was almost a, like an instantaneous bang, bang, he throws it. Guy's already, like, launched himself in the air to hit him when he still had the ball, but they call roughing the passer anyway. I could hear Clay Hendricks yelling on the broadcast, he was a ball carrier when he was hit. He only threw it there at the last second. It wasn't clear that he was going to do that. He wasn't the court. So, that was a very right. Odd so one too. <laughs> the explanation I got on that was that uh, Chiswick hit him around the waist, but then picked him up and then slammed him down after oh, really? the fact. Oh, okay. So I wouldn't have seen so, that. So uh, right. right, and on the replay, TV doesn't show that either no, because so I didn't I, see that. I didn't see that live. Well, but and we're in studio, we, so we couldn't have seen right, it just but in I, live action. As ever. soon as he threw it, you know where where I go. I go to watch the ball. You yeah. know. So I didn't see that. And so the only replay I saw was the same replay that showed in the stadium, which is the same one you saw, which was like, how in the world? That's a pretty clean hit. And I also believe, uh, and and Robert um, Harper disagreed with me on the sideline because of Jarvis Landry in the NFL, but I, 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 I know they're protecting quarterback and throwers, but I thought it's almost like when a punter bobbles the ball and runs, he's just free game. Right. So I kind of feel like you, and unless that's a change – and there have been minor tweaks to the rule book the last two years. And because there are more trick play things, I, I don't know that that's it. But what we were told on the sideline was that after the hit was made, that Chiswick just didn't hit bring him to the ground. He decided to lift him up and then bury and drive him into the ground. And so that was the unnecessary, which to me was just an un, which should just be a personal foul, late hit or something like that, as opposed to a roughing, roughing the pass. Right. It still would have been a 15-yard penalty. But I think that makes more sense because everything I saw, and at the time I was talking to Furman, and that was the only thing they questioned. And they even laughed about the uh, the snap that didn't happen. Like, we didn't there – yes. there was no penalty. There was no play didn't go on. It's just, we're just kidding. We're just going to start the second half over again. Yeah. That's how you knew the second half was going to go bad, I think. Yeah. I, we didn't know it at the time. But I think that's, that, that's how you know. But yeah. 
Yeah, they were uh, they were head scratchers. Well, let me tell you, they were head scratchers all over the place. So, third downs for ETSU in the first half by yardage. One, two, four, six, two, nine, three, nine. That's eight for 36 total yards, average four and a half yards on third down. In the second half, 13, 24, 10, 5, 5, 15, 8, which is 80 yards on seven attempts. That's 11.4. Now, I'll do you one better. I went ahead and took out the 15-yard Tremont shorts. It still would have been third and nine, which you still would have averaged 9.2 yards instead of 11.4 yards on third downs. So that made me look at first down. First down in the second half, ETSU had nine plays. Incomplete pass, one-yard run, one-yard run, five-yard pass, five-yard run. Incomplete, incomplete, 16-yard pass, which was the ball in the goal line on the first down. And then they uh, followed that up with an incomplete pass. So they were four incompletes, two one-yard runs, a five-yard run and pass, and then uh, a 16-yard pass. But to me, because of all the – you're looking at six plays that were one yard or zero. Yeah. And to me, that was the biggest difference in the second half where ETSU was able to get in third and manageable. Now, Rodell's numbers overall in the season, he's 11 of 16 passing on third down, 68%. We'll take that. Seven first down out of the 11 completion, seven for first. Here's the oddity. He's thrown to one receiver that has four catches but no first downs. Sailors has four catches on third down and no first downs. And I, I don't know if they are just throwing every screen or behind the line pass to them or what. It's essentially what they did on Saturday. There were a right, lot there was of, a lot of screen yeah. game. There was a lot of quick games. Which I liked, but I thought Furman did a good job. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I thought they adjusted better in the second half yes. on it. So, um, but to me, that's odd. He's four. Uh, he's, th- he's throwing at Sailors four times. Sailors caught four. Just none have gone for a first down. Lane Price is four or five in, in that situation. The only other guy that has multiple targets is Noah West, and he was one for one in the last game. He was over two in the first game, but he, and he had that big thirty-yard rumble where he ran over a man and nice. just kept going. Yeah, so um, I, so third down plays I, I don't think are are bad, and they're completing. The problem is, you know, when you get some of those third and fifteens, you know, it's just hard to go down the field and chunk of when everyone in the building knows that you know we're going to. And, and Furman dropped eight a lot. Early in the game, they didn't. They they brought four or five, and then I thought Rodell beat the blitz a lot, threw behind the blitz or wherever the backers were coming from. And then in the second half, they adjusted. Sometimes they rushed four, dropped seven, but there were several times in the fourth quarter where they just rushed three and dropped eight. And then obviously when you're trying to get 15 yards, it's a very difficult window to try to find somebody into or open. First down leads to third down, and then third down leads to time of possession, right? And one of the big stats coming into the game, I thought, was that Furman was controlling every contest they essentially had been in. 38 minutes and two seconds was what they were averaging in time of possession, which is like five minutes more than anyone else in the conference. ETSU in the first half did a great job. Uh, I think they had three drives of four-plus minutes, and you look at the score lines, 10 nothing, And I... I Honestly, after the first half, looking at that Furman team, I was like, what is the hype about? This is the number 15 team in the nation. And then in the second half, like you said, adjustments were made. Third quarter was controlled. They did just enough. And, yes, you can talk about penalties and all that, but, you know, 13 penalties for 103 yards on ETSU. There were some phantom calls in there, no doubt, but there weren't 13 bad calls. You know, this was not what ETSU did in game one when they had four penalties for 15 yards and really cut down on the mistakes and didn't shoot themselves in the foot against Sanford. 13 for 103 is a massive number. So penalty-wise, it was still too much on ETSU, regardless of if you take away the 30, 40, 50 yards that we feel should not have gone against them. But in that second half, ETSU, to go back to time of possession, just one four-plus-minute drive. Furman had possession, as we mentioned, you know, 38 minutes, two seconds in their first three games. And then you see what they were able to do, kind of stifle the Bucks. And I think right now it was, what, 14 to 17 to start? and completed only, what was it, 10 of his last 28 passes, or 10 of his last... Well, he was, I mean, yeah, because he was... Started ele- 14 of 37 and had a 22 of 35, right? 14 of 17. 17, sorry. Right, yeah, 17, yes, because he was 11 and 12 at halftime. So, eight of his last 18. Yeah, and then the, the first drive, yeah, the first drive completed a couple, and then it started to go right from there from the interception on. And I don't know if that... Maybe made a little gunshot, but he made. He still made some good throws. I thought the big thing 
for him in the first half was a lot of the timing routes were absolutely on target. Um, and not just the timing route, throwing the ball before a guy comes out of the – I'll tell you, you know a guy seeing the field. He's throwing the ball before the break. And the other thing is, is he threw behind the blitzes, right? Him and the receiver are on the same page. You get more guys rushing on one side. You know, you're the hot route. You're the quick slant. you got to hit that. And then, honestly, he threw over the middle really well early and a little bit in the third quarter. And in the fourth quarter, I don't know if it was designed by play or just him, he hit the one slant on the goal line, but he missed Lane Price. You know, one thrown, again, tapped it behind him, one got knocked away. But those are the only other two balls in, around the middle, but they were still open. Well, I guess the one where he got knocked away wasn't. But the one where he threw behind him was open, and then the one he got to the 16-yard game. But they, they, for some reason, in the fourth quarter, you know, I may have to go back and watch that again, but I, I don't remember them really trying to go over the middle, which is where they had a huge advantage. And then we'll see if they can work on that because watching the Citadel defense, there are massive gaping holes in the middle of that defense that should be able to be taken advantage of. How much do you think that the Bucks missed Blake Bockrath and Juwan Ross? There was not really much of a pass rush on either side. Um, each quarterback had a lot of – now, maybe that was designed. You know, maybe you yeah, they were dropping seven, dropping eight. Well, and, and they were no quick passes. Side. Yeah, Both true. sides were quick. There was very – you know, it was very few just sit and wait. And they did a great job. Um, Clay Hendricks and George Quarles and all those guys did a great job, I think, of working with Sisson on throwing the ball away. Because there were times where I thought, oh, he's going to hold this. We're going to get, you know, ETSU's going to get to him. And he didn't do it. He ended up throwing the ball away, you know, live to fight another down, don't lose the extra yardage. He threw a couple away, just like Rydell did. And I think both those quarterbacks did a good job of managing and not uh, compounding an issue uh, by taking a sack or, th- or throwing it up for grabs. Sissons really wasn't taking sacks. His was just throwing it up for grabs. Right. And he did not really throw any ball other than, you know, right before halftime, he's trying to make a play. I mean, I knew he threw the interception, but, I mean, he's really, I mean, Can't blame and, him and, and it was intercepted at the end of the half. So it didn't cost him anything. You know, it was one of the most useless turnovers other than allowed uh, apparently Tyree Robinson to go over. Uh, to the corner of the end zone and talk trash to the entire Furman team by himself before um, backup came and referees had to back him away. But right, he was fired up. That was that was the most uh, fired up Tyree Robinson I've seen in uh, quite some time. Uh, most impressive play of the game, though, was when Wynn ran over Karan DeLint. So oh. I don't know. Oh. Sent him into outer space. I hate it for Karan. Yeah, that but was – Karan made a nice uh, special teams tackle uh, later on in the game on a punt. Bell again, there. huh? So, so Bell downs Boy. one at the two, then he fills one over the shoulder, slips, and then gets hit and – by Delintz and tackled at the four. Well, and, then it, Del- I think and it led to a, about is the Delintz, It was one on one with Win, and it was like at the 16 yard line he made the tackle. I think it was in the fourth quarter. But yes, that what Bell and this stadium do not mix because yeah, he runs probably 15, 20 yards back and fields one inside the five, and yeah, slips it like the one, and he's probably having flashbacks in his head like, oh no, not here. Yeah, uh, it's no doubt, and then that led to a, right to the field goal right into the first half. So uh, yeah, yeah, I forgot about the. Uh, Delinch tackled win inside the five yard line. Uh, so I mean, I thought he played. I thought again, most of the defense. Yeah, you know, I thought um, Porter played well. I thought West, his his backup now, the third string outside linebacker, played well. I thought the the nose and you know all those guys. I, I, there wasn't anything. It's tough if you look at the numbers the defense I put up in two games, and you look at the scoring that Furman and Sanford has done to everyone else they played. <laughs> and putting up gaudy numbers, then I, I think you've got to be excited for where this team is. It's just, honestly, it's a situation. Can ETSU, if they can get to 24, 28 points, I feel pretty good about them winning every game they play the rest of the season. Yeah. The question is, can they get to 24, 28 points? That's the billion-dollar question. If they play like they did in the first half, you know, I mean, they're, I didn't see a lot of, issues with what they did, and Rydell was on point. He made some good throws. Was it to Huzzy on that little out route? Yes. his foot, rolled right. Well him. in rhythm. Oh, Huzzy wasn't beautiful. out of the break. I mean, it it, you beautiful. couldn't have drew it up any better. Now, there wasn't a lot of diversity in the passing game, right, because really where they were getting their big yards aside from that play was, you know, hitting those little seam routes, right, like just just a post to timing post pattern to Lane Price or, um, you know, they tried the screen game, and again, Furman, I think, snuffed that out pretty well. Uh, but there was some good stuff done there, too. 
Um, the mix of Holmes and Sailors, I'd like to get Sailors probably a little bit more involved in the ground game. But 10 touches, I, you know, I can't be too mad about that because he had six catches. Uh, I have a hard time you know, seeing anything in the first half that the Bucks could have done better offensively. But you have to put together the full game, and, and that's what Furman does so well, right? They, they don't allow you to play 60 minutes of good offensive football. And usually when they need a comeback, they play that better defense in the second half. And not every team is going to be Furman either. I mean, if, if that's ETSU across from pretty much anyone else in the conference, I think, on that day, they're probably going to win that game. But Furman is who they are for a reason, and Clay Hendricks has done a really good job because that was a program for the couple of years prior to him coming in that, I mean, didn't have a ton to boast about, right? And Hendricks has done well. I mean, you, you look at the Last time ETSU held somebody scoreless in the first half was Gardner-Webb, that homecoming game. And, let, and, and let's be honest, that was the awful Gardner-Webb team. That was maybe the, against a Division One opponent, the most impressed that I had been with ETSU in terms of all facets of the game since football was back. I mean, just flat-out dominant. dominant. So, um, to do that against a team that was averaging 400, almost 450, you know, averaging almost 30 points a game, or a little over 30 yep. at that time. I mean, all that and to put up a goose egg and everything. I mean, I think you really like how everything is coming together, and the offense is still better than what it was last year. It's just slowly come along. I think Coach Sanders, you know, he's always got his little one-liners in the post game, And he said, you know, we've played a complete game. The problem is it was the second half of the first game and the first half of the second game. <laughs> we haven't been able to get it, you know, we did play 60 minutes. It just wasn't in the same game, and I thought that was interesting, but also very self-aware of, of his squad and, and what needs to happen. And special teams, I think Huzzy's going to make some plays in the special teams. And I was very disappointed, <clears throat> not disappointed, but he had one guy to beat on his first punt return and just got turned just enough and stumbled him to where he, he couldn't quite recover and he fell down. And other than that, I think Firm did a better job of the coverage. But I thought for sure the hidden yardage, which we talk a lot on the radio, was going to be special teams. And if the hidden yardage was penalties. So we got the right thing, just how we got there was incorrect. And I thought that was going to be a, a big difference. And Firm, and, I mean, because if you look at even Huzzy being able to catch the ball, do some things, but they didn't hurt themselves in special teams, where Furman, you know, really Bell was the only real hurt where he filled instead of letting the ball go in the end zone, he fills it and they're down at the four and it actually led to a field goal to ETSU. But other than that, you know, special teams wasn't as big a deal as I thought it would be. Uh, I really thought that would be an advantage for ETSU. Were you surprised that we didn't see Brock Landis at all? Because that was something Coach Sanders said, obviously during the coach's show, you know, Brock's done some good things. Probably expect to see him again for a little bit. Now, I know he went one to five in the first game. But Coach Sanders kind of teased it, and then you see the struggles of Rydell in the second half. Now, he did get in a rhythm early, and so maybe that's yeah, just what's Yeah, I think it's almost like, you know, it's the Chris Hatcher, Oladokun. The first half went so well. No Welch. You're just not afraid. I think you're afraid, which is funny because Oladokun actually played some last week versus Wofford. Of course he did. Well, he got a touchdown run, so he may have just been in for a, a run, but he definitely scored in the game, so – uh, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll talk about the game against the Citadel coming up. We'll do uh, you know stock report and set up the whole uh, weekend for you in Southern Conference uh, coming up on Thursday. Um, but yeah, tough one for ETSU. They're not out of the playoff hunt. They just know they've got to win the rest. That's simple as that. They're going to have to win every single game now because there's just 16 teams in, and there's a big one with Furman and Chat. VMI is undefeated for the first time since 1981. They're 3-0. So, I mean, that's the big one right now if you look at the schedule to me. I mean, obviously you don't have to play for uh, Wofford. At least we don't think. I don't know where it would fit in. At the Citadel, the fact that they lost to Western, I was gobsmacked by. Then Western at home. Got to be an automatic win if you're going to even think about Correct. advancing the postseason. At VMI, that's tough. At Mercer, eh, not too worried about that either. And then at home against Chattanooga now, though the Mox have looked – you know, good for the most part in the early part of the season. So th- that will I be mean, probably tougher I mean, if they're still rolling then. Right. ETSU has a chance to get sort of – because Chat and VMI will not play. That, that was the first right. game of the year that they missed. So, you know, that's going to take one away. It's going to be interesting because it could be a situation just, just for fun. Let's say Furman beat, you know, Chat this week. <laughs> or even if Chat beat Furman. Let's say Chat beat Furman. ETSU wins out. Okay. And then VMI um, play 
beats Furman, Furman beats VMI. So now you're talking yeah. about so Chad. many one-loss teams. That's right. You got three one-loss teams. But Furman has the game in hand because they will, they will have played everybody. Well, but I had Furman losing the chat. So got they, it. Okay. So they, so they would have two loss. losses. Got it. But here's where it gets crazy. ETSU would have one loss, and they would have beaten VMI and chat. VMI and chat would have one loss, but they didn't play each other. Hmm. And so then if you're talking about two teams in, and it, it could go the opposite way. Let, let, you know, let's just say ETSU does drop a game somewhere, and chat beats, let's see, Furman beats chat. And then ETSU beats VMI. So, again, they're still all one loss. And it, it's going to be interesting. I think it will play itself out, and there won't be three one-loss teams. But there is and there's a way that isn't that far-fetched where you would have three one-loss teams, and then you would have a little bit of trouble because two of those teams would be VMI and Chat, and they wouldn't have played each other. But the tie break then at that point, if everybody's tied at one loss, is record against those other teams, right? So if ETSU would have beaten them both, right. they'd e- be their better right. record. ETSU would. But the win percentage would be – well, if ETSU beats them both, no, it'd be two and zero. So that'd be that'd be it. You'd be having your oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it, it, yeah, it probably gets a little hairy if, uh, oh, it's if very hairy. how Chat and Furman finish up against each other. I mean, you could you could actually get to a point where everybody had two losses, and then who knows? Then you're going into a whole different set of of who beat who and who played who. And then again with Chat and VMI at the beginning of the year, you're going, ah, I didn't play each other. Who cares? Now you're starting to think, man. Could have been a heck of a ball game to decide it. And that's Furman Wofford last week of the year, and then ETSU Chat last week of the year, right? I mean, that's going to be. It could come down to that. We probably won't know anything Can more than we Citadel, do right well, now. Well, I'll say this: Kansas Citadel last week of the year up in VMI too, and then it'd just be. You're talking about three rivalries there, and if, if Chat, let's say Citadel continues to struggle and doesn't win a game, what would make their year? Knocking off VMI. Throw the records and, and out those two plays. Oh yeah. Sure. All right. All right. Well, let's talk uh, new segment. New segment on Santa Sidekick. Rob, this time out, Buccaneer Sports Network. Over the last seven years, Johnson City Power Board has had a few different looks, but we've remained the same trusted partner you rely on. Now, we've changed our name to Bright Ridge to match our vision, to deliver on our promise of great service you can count on, embracing common sense technology to strengthen the communities we serve. We're glad to be your public power provider. Bright Ridge. Also mad at Southern Conference oh officiating. Gosh. All right, you'll turn. turn Portal watch. Oh, it still just sounds horrible. All right, turn turn it off and on while we do this segment. <laughs> I don't turn, even know how to turn, turn it off. I've never turned it off. I don't know how to do it. Turn it off and on. Ah, you go ahead and do it. I'll introduce the segment. So here's what's going on. So the Portal Watch. You may have heard of the transfer portal. We need to find a way to talk basketball all year long. Lots of times, what we do is talk about it during the basketball season, right? And then lead in maybe a month before and be like, all right, you know, let's catch up. But we got to find a way to keep track of all the happenings within the Southern Conference and around yep. mid-major basketball, I agree. high-major basketball, people going to different places, the people that could go different places, speculate. We love speculation on this show. So we got to find a way to work in basketball to send us to the sidekick, whenever it is on the air. And how we've managed to do that, is the portal watch. We started a little bit last week. It was kind of stock reports, and then we were like, well, okay, I mean, let's be real here. This is The stock is out the window now because everyone's stock is going to be fluctuating on a constant basis throughout the postseason, depending on what happens, right? Now, you look at each team around the Southern Conference, as we will in a second, and there's a few that their stock has kind of stayed where it's at right now because no one's in the portal. But there's others that are dropping drastically, uh, Sam. Because there is half your team Can in the they drop worse? And so you have to find a way to keep the happenings at the forefront because basketball is big not only in the city, in this region. Obviously, it's March, and we're going to do the show up until, what, like middle of April, maybe late April, depending on what happens with football. Um, and so for the vast majority of the rest of the show, we got to keep an eye on the portal and see what happens because the Southern Conference is going to look very different next year. College basketball as a whole will look very different next year. And we have to make sure that we are staying on top. You agree? Totally agree. And that, I think this is going to be great because we, uh, 
You know, as you know, we're the basketball gurus, and so uh, when we, Nobody when we uh, yes, when we tell you, good or bad move, up or down, it happens. Maybe they're not listening to bold predictions. I don't want to bring that back up, but oh, we'll talk about it. Okay, all right. Should we start with the mass exodus? Yes, down in Birmingham. Yes, there are now six as of about ten minutes a ago. A thousand six in the portal for Stanford. Christian Guest, Myron Gordon, uh, most notably, but then Jalen Dupree joined this last week as well. Your guy Preston Parks is trying to make the rounds to every college basketball institution. I just I need him to pick a team that's going to play ETSU, so he can continue the tradition and be the most played against player that wasn't on the same team twice. Because would have played him, right? Because he wouldn't have. You would have played at Citadel. Would have played Martin. In theory, would have played this year. I'm still counting it. Would have played Sanford because it was on the schedule. I know it didn't play. Yeah, and then. If he picks another one, in five years, four different schools, he would have played against ETSU. No, it's never going to happen again. Never. KJ Davis is also in the portal. He's been there for a while. Um, so that's five. And then Luke Champion just put his name in like ten minutes ago. Verbal commits reported. So I still love to go back to the tweet of the title town mafia that said nobody wants to play for a high school coach or Sanford players are tired of playing for a high school coach. I've already done it once. And not only was that tweet out there, but didn't Myron Gordon – like it or Christian Guest liked it. <laughs> I love it. It's clear that word has circulated within the locker room among Stanford Bulldogs that there are greener pastures and six different players. And let, let me just say this. If you started a team with Parks, Guest, Gordon, and Dupree, you oh, could boy. win games. You yeah. could win games. Yeah, I love that. Those three play- As long as you're not running your – 40 minutes of hell or whatever you called it with Stanford. You're not subbing yeah. people out every not two either 94 feet, 4 minutes high, whatever you want to call it. Put them in a traditional system, and that's a heck but, of a team. I mean, you're looking at Parks is 6'1", Guess is 6'6", Gordon 6'3", Dupree 6'8". I mean, you got a pretty – I mean, you, you, add, squad. you add a role player. Matter of fact, why don't we go ahead and add uh, K.J. Davis. Put him on there. Luke Champion. You're, you're, the, you're just a warm body that has to be out there because they make you play with five. That And then that four could win. That five would win a lot of games at the low major level. Maybe maybe uh, Hemp Sisson will drop out of football and go play for his former high school <laughs> oh, coach. Oh, that's the one note I didn't mention to you, bro. Oh, you How didn't? Did I missed that. Oh, uh, I brought it up like twice. I wish I would have. Okay. Right. I state champion. Yeah, he's a winner, Hemp Sisson. Um, so is our left tackle. Yes. Yeah, good point. Uh, Citadel. Hayden Rice, bye-bye. The top three-point shooter in the nation, at least up until the last couple of weeks. I know he went a little bit cold. But Caden Rice uh, is out the door at the Citadel into the transfer portal. We probably buried the lead because another one of the top shooters in the Southern Conference. No surprise here. Storm Murphy going to Virginia Tech. He made his decision and is rejoining. That, that was the easiest. Was. I, don't, I don't know. Like, And I talked to a bunch of the, the staff. And, and by staff, I'm talking like GAs and the Dobo and, um, and one of the assistant coaches. And they're like, what about Storm leaving? And I was like, whoa, he's going to go to Virginia Tech. And they, everyone had stopped the conversation. Everyone was just staring at me. Why would he do that? That's where Mike Young is. That was his former head coach at Wofford. And they yeah. all went, oh, yeah. And I don't know how they missed that. But anyway, I thought that was the easiest. If you didn't know that was going to happen. Like, it would have been, it was 99% he was going there. If he would have went anywhere else, that would have been the upset of the century. Huge upset. Upset the center. It would have had to have been because Mike Young, and Mike Young wouldn't do this because he knows that Storm Murphy is a heck of a player, but it would have been Mike Young saying, hey, look, Storm, I love you at Wofford. You're a great kid. I think you got great things ahead, but, you know, we just don't have room for you, or this isn't the spot for you. It would have been Mike Young saying no, because Storm Murphy, when he put his name in the portal, had one thing on his mind, right, and it was Virginia Tech reunion. I mean, he even said it, I think, in his tweet, one last ride. Okay. All right. You were saving that one up. You were saving that caption up. Uh, Wofford also has Trey Hallwell in the portal. He has not chosen to do destination yet. Zion Richardson uh, did not play this past year, uh, but he is also in the portal for the Terriers. Mercer, Mitch Prendergast still there. Chattanooga, Prosper, Obity Booby, my favorite name of the entire Southern Conference. Looks like he's leaving the mocks. Obidee Obebo, right? Obidee Obebo? Uh, <laughs> Obidee Obebo. I think it's Obity Booby. Obi Day Babo, I don't know. Okay, yeah, we'll go with that. Uh, VMI Tragen Fall. Uh, obviously, we know him well. Tragen Fall, Miles Lewis, and Greg Parr. So we now this is last week. yeah, but this is the interesting part because they don't have graduate school. I've, I've tried to look. I, I think I looked that up and confirmed that. And so that's why Reese Udinski is not going to be there either. Now you could 
get another major or something. But a, a second undergrad degree. Yeah, but I don't even know how that works. Obviously, Parham's going to be the most interesting. When you get done with this, I'm going to ask you to rank your top three. If, if not that I'm saying you're poaching any of the SoCon guys that come not here. What would you be your top? I'm not tampering, I promise. You, you think about that. Ready to go. Okay. Uh, UNCG, Michael Hewitt, Jr. No one in the portal yet for Furman ETS. You were Western Carolina. Do you think it stays that way? Uh, no. I think there will be every team on somebody in the portal. Like, just book it. I have no inside knowledge of any of those three teams. Maybe one of them. But there will be <laughs> Big people in the portal. Are we thinking, like, names? Or is it going to be like a Prosper Obadiouk? I'll say this. If you were Paul Smith this year. Hmm. And got in one game, I think, if that. Probably, probably going to be tough to find some time. I'm just, I'm just going to go out on that. So, and again, I'm not talk to Paul. No idea. I just that one. If if Paul does not transfer, that would shock me. Or that just says he was coming off an injury. Maybe he needed more time. Figured out. That was always what I figured. And it could be, could be, but when you get one game in and the guy that's been on the team for 13 seconds got in, then. Well, when gonna, you say it like that, Chad. I'm just, I'm just going. <laughs> uh, you don't got to say it how it is. Okay, all right. Uh, all right. So I'm ranking what the top players available are in the SoCon. Yeah, yeah, but and you can't take Storm now because Storm is gone. Uh, so the top three available. And you know, I'm not saying put them on ETSU's team. You're putting them on this mythical team that we've started. So yeah. can I build a five? Can I just build a five? Sure, you can build a five. Uh, Parham. I think yep, that, I think absolutely. He'd be, be my number one. Totally yeah. agree. Uh, I, I'm tempted to put – I'm tempted to go Myron Gordon or Christian Guest, but I think I'd go Caden Rice, uh, number two. And then probably the next three, if we're honest, uh, Hallowell probably edges out somebody from Sanford. I need a big guy, though, so I'd have to go Dupree at some point. Oh, yeah. There. So you need Dupree. So I guess I'd have to probably drop either Guess or Gordon for Hallowell and then take Guess or Gordon as my fifth. And that's a team of Parham – Dupree, Rice, and then I guess two of the Well, the other guy's a six, man. That's, that's, that's a pretty good six, is it not? That's amazing. I'm a good championship six. in oh, okay. some league with that. That's right. phenomenal. Do you agree? I mean, those top six are pretty clear. Oh, yeah. I mean, Parham's by far the uh, the number one, I think. Uh, I don't sleep on Rice, though. I, no, I'm not, but I, I, I think Parham does more than Rice does, and so I think that, and I think <laughs> then, you know, in all honesty, some of the skill set that Gordon and Guess have are hard. Now, Hollowell came on this year, um, but I don't know if it's because he was – it's always hard to tell sometimes because at Wofford they have set defined roles. And sometimes you just have to wait for that to be your turn. So I'll, I'll be curious to see if Hollowell can put up some of the numbers. Like if he would have stayed there, if his numbers would have gone up even more than what they did this year. But uh, those are all solid, I mean, in all honesty. Your number one is Obity Booby. Can, uh, I, can I also say the entire UT Martin put in? There's not one guy left. Now, it doesn't mean they're all leaving, but they're all in the portal. They just asked their interim head coach to. Everybody? Uh, oh, my gosh. Look at them all. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. Again. Wow. So, you know, they had the unfortunate Coach Stewart died before, the, years, uh, wow. before the year started. And I've not reached out to Dillian Sneed, who was a former ETSU Buccaneer. Um, great i think most people know he was on that staff as the director of basketball ops and um they were all told they wouldn't be retained now if a new coach wants to come in and keep him maybe he's there but when you do something like that i think everybody puts their name in to see that doesn't mean they're all leaving now three have already and the first one was coach stewart's son and he he left i mean after his dad died so and he's committed to indiana and he was he was he was the catch of the group and to deal with your father dying in the pandemic, all this other stuff, no one faulted Parker Stewart no, for taking the rest of the year off, not having to see a picture of his dad and everything that imagine goes. Imagine walking with, into that I, chair Yeah, I just day, I can't I, I, I can't imagine. So if you take him out, then there's 12 other guys that have put their name in. Two have already committed. One to Southern Indiana. Um, what is that? Uh, Casey, and then to Cal Poly is Anaje Kennedy. Who was a redshirt junior six nine two fifteen? So, but the rest of the guys, I'm kind of curious. This happens now. You can put it in and just see, right? Because if we're talking about, and you know, the women's 
game. Also, transfer portal is something there. But there, when you have a coaching change, it is normal for sometimes people say, hey, I'm going to put my name in the portal and see what you guys are going to do and see what the new coach is and see if the, when I talk to the new coach and let me see if I get off on the right foot with this person and if I'm okay with this person. And if I'm not okay with this person, then my name's in the hat. But if this person comes in and knocks, knocks me off my feet, I feel like it's going to be a change from what I was dealing with. Or you could be the player that really wanted to play for that coach that is no longer there to be the opposite. And you're like, well, you got rid of who I wanted, so I don't care who you're bringing in, I'm leaving. So there's a couple different ways to look at them, people in the transfer portal. When I see everybody go in, that tells me that is a, you better impress us with who you're bringing in because we really like the guy that was there. So I'll see for UT Martin. That was the biggest one when I was just scrolling up and down because generally you'll see a five or six or something like that, but there was everybody was in the portal. So we'll see what happens and how um, UT Martin goes about the search, how they get the hire, and if they can retain anybody. Here's the other thing we're going to do in Portal Watch. We're going to look at guys that are in the portal that some are big names, some are kind of off the radar that are getting some steam. Yep. Are they players that we can expect to see in the Southern Conference, or are we aiming too high? There's going to be some in the category, and I'm just going to say them, and you can right, you know, judge and see if I'm on the right path or not. And then after the ones that were like, ah, those probably aren't coming, here's some that you may want to set your sights to. So first in terms of guys that are probably too highly touted, for the SOCON programs to claim. And keep in mind, top ten league in the land for the last couple of years. But Earl Timberlake from Miami spent the season largely dealing with injuries, projected first-round pick coming into the year. Now he is back in the portal. I would think the reason I'm saying he's not coming here, when you're a projected first-round pick, and the thing that derails your first year is injuries. With injuries, usually that's not going to be something where your stock just drastically plummets. Now, if there's something that you have in terms of lingering effects, like, oh, it was a knee injury and you just don't have the lift that you did anymore, or you don't have that agility, the athleticism is gone. Okay, that's a different story, but there haven't been reports of that with Timberlake. So, guessing that Earl Timberlake not coming to the SOCON, do you agree? I agree, and I think part of that is going to be the ACC just passed the rule a few days ago that you can transfer within the conference, no penalty. So, that being said, he that's, that's going to keep more ACC guys that will go to a lower-level ACC team that maybe would take a step down. But, yes, I'm going to say you're aiming too high if you're thinking he's in the SoCon. It was fun, all that. It Namari, was. Namari Burnett from Texas Tech, he was productive when he played there, but kind of got beat out by Mac McClung. A lot of minutes, obviously, for McClung. He was tremendous. Uh, wouldn't imagine a former five-star recruit that – didn't do anything to hurt his stock. Nothing really in his control with this that he did would end up uh, at the SOCON, but probably going to another Power Five, correct? Uh, yes, uh, he's staying. But. Uh, let's go on borderline because yeah. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna put a couple guys out there where you know things fall a certain way, and it's a weird year, and there may be people that opt to come back on a lot of teams because this was a free season, so maybe spots are limited. But certainly in the SOCON, there would be rosters that would make room for these guys. Cameron Fletcher. From Kentucky. Okay, Kentucky, I get it. You know, you're thinking, all right, I'm a little off my rocker. I understand. Uh, But he was asked to step away from the team in the middle of the year. And it seemed like he and John Calipari weren't on the same page. Now, this is a place where I think that if you look at how things have unfolded for him, if you get that label as someone that isn't a locker room guy, right, and is going to be selfish. And I don't know exactly what the discussions were between Calipari and Fletcher, obviously. I don't have an ear of John Calipari. But – if you see something like that in the headlines about a guy, that's going to chase some programs away. You may not want to take that on. Now, will it chase away all the Power 5 programs and have him fall to a mid-major? Maybe, maybe not. I think it's possible, Jay Sandoz, have I lost it? You've lost it okay. because Fair once enough. you have the word Kentucky, yeah, it's big. I, I think it gets you. Pl- it's like North Carolina. A lot of those guys don't transfer down to what would be a mid-major because other big schools are going to be like, well, <laughs> Coach Cal, Coach K, Roy Williams, Bill Self, they, they've had to have solved – they took – they have – this is a steal for us. And whether they should be playing down or not, I feel like they always get – the Blue Bloods, if you start there, you will land at a much higher place than a lower mid-tier SEC, ACC, Big 12, Big 10 school. Okay, fair enough. I'm crazy. How about Wake Forest? Emmanuel Lacpomo? 
yep. 6'10", 225, minimal contributor for the Demon Deacons yeah, from one of the best prep programs in the nation, Oak Hill Academy. Yeah. Now, Oak Hill Academy is one of those, too. When you go there and you're a top-rated recruit coming into college, people say, wow, Oak Hill Academy. I mean, this kid must have it. Start with Paul Smith, right? DeMatha. DeMatha. DeMatha, top 15, top 20 program in the country. This kid must have it. Maybe Paul Smith does have it. Maybe Akpomo does have it. We haven't seen it yet. Could you see him coming to the Southern Conference? The problem is he's six ten. That's know, big. I, I think I think that gives him a little again because size is so hard to come by. The skill set. I will say he he may not be power five, but that group of five. Like you know, I could see a, a Big East right because he's already at a private school. I could see the Big East. I could see. How far removed is the SoCon from that at this point, though? That group of five, quote-unquote. Well, you're looking at the 10th or 11th rated league. That's right. Um, the question is, recruiting-wise, do you have the juice? Um, and if he does go, is he willing at that point? Because he started at a private school. you got to think it's great. I mean, he's a good student all that stuff. Does he want to stay at the private school, or does he just want to go play? And that's the question you don't know. But I think I could see him in the Big East. <laughs> No, okay. I, I, I'm ruining your segment. You are ruining my segment. That's okay. That's I've okay. got a couple that I think that you'll right. look more favorably upon in terms right. of ending up at an ETSU, at a UNCG, at a Furman. Chris Efertui. Now, you're going to be blown away by the size, right? 7-1-260. This is why I put him on the list because this is a fun one to think about. He's from Nigeria, played at South Plains College at the JUCO level, went to Louisiana Monroe, five points, four rebounds per game, right? We've got a Nigerian center here at ETSU, Salas Adeke. Similar amount of success at Northern Kentucky, right? Went to a couple different institutions, just like Efertui. Kind of fitting that mold, except he obviously is a few inches bigger, and those are a big few inches in basketball, right? 260 pounds, a little bit heavier than Silas, so a more physically imposing threat. Louisiana Monroe, 5-4, and four, not huge production. Obviously, you can see what teams would see in him at the high major level. Just a space eater inside that can really disrupt a lot of shots. Chris Efertui to ETSU or a Southern Conference school? Yes or no? Yes. Hey, here I we guess, go. I here we go. We got a winner. Seven one two sixty though. You, you think there will be some nibbles out there from the Power 5 level? Yeah. I mean, so, again, it's tough. You, so, you got to give him a look, don't you? 7-1. If you just need somebody to protect the rim and play 10, 12 minutes, yeah, you could you could get him. All right. I'm going way on the other end now. Okay. To a guy that probably remind you a little bit of Tyler Moff, right, at the Citadel this year. Washington University of St. Louis. Division three powerhouse, matter of fact, at the Division three level. Jack Nolan, who averaged nearly 20 points per game. There are places saying that he is getting high major looks at 6'1", 170. At that size, I am not buying it. Now, at point guard, you don't necessarily have to be a certain size, right? You can be 6'1", you know, 170, but it seems like he's a little bit slight and making that jump all the way from Division three. I don't care how good the Division three program is. I play Division three. I kind of know how that level looks, even when you know it's a top Division three team. It's a lot different than even a low major at Division one. So going from Division three to high major, I'm not thinking is going to happen. He's obviously a talented kid, can score the basketball. There's a demand for that out there all the time. Jack Nolan, I think, is going to fall a little bit short of rising to the point that people have him at. I'm thinking he settles right around in that mid-major level, and a Southern Conference team takes a chance on him to college. I love it. Yes. Can we? I realize the name is spelled a little different, but but can we convince him that his uncle is the president of the university? Oh, I like that. Just throw a D on the end for yeah. sure. Okay. Can we just convince him? You know, I mean, he's D three guy, right? You played with his guy. Do you think that he could get into school if he would somehow fall for that? I'm not sure that uh, he'd be that broad that he's. I mean, we're not talking about you know, Wake Forest Grad public school. Yeah, okay. okay. All right. All right. Well, that's a yes, I can. Yes, I can absolutely see Jack Nolan uh, playing D three all the way to high. I just don't see that. You know, that's a long way to go. 20 points per game usually is not going to translate from D3 to D1. Uh, people probably just have him come in as a backup and play, you know, like you said, like the, what, 12, 15 minutes, give you hopefully some good stuff off the bench. But I think that the selling point here for a Jack Nolan is, look, at the mid-major level, you come in, you might start, you might be a Tyler Moff, right? I don't know if he's going to play major minutes on a UNCG, on a firm, well, I mean, heck, with UNCG, and there's going to be some availability there at the point guard position, right, with Isaiah Miller gone. 
Um, of course, he can play off the ball, too. But So, Jack Nolan, very interesting. There's going to be some holes to fill for a lot of different teams, and I think that's a guy that – and obviously I haven't broken down tape on Jack Nolan, but at 6'1", 170, come in and play a lot like Moth, except maybe a little bit better of a score. Well, I mean, the, the good news is there have been actual people from the Tri-Cities that have gone to play for Washington University in St. Louis, uh, especially in, fo- in, in football. So, I mean, you can't uh, – yeah, I think – matter of fact, uh, I want to say that their new football coach is actually from the Tri-Cities. I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm looking this up right now. I've got a connection here. Okay. Make see, we need to, well, you, need yeah, you need to get it done. Secondary. I mean, you have to get it done. You've got to make it me, work. Let me see if I remember this correctly. If there's any way to get Jack Nolan to the Tri-Cities, I don't think we should probably be begging for Division three guys. But uh, still, I mean, he appears to have a ton of talent. Are their defense coordinator is Jeff Fisher. Does that make you feel any better? Jeff Fisher? Like the Jeff Fisher? I doubt it. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. Is it even smart right. to say? That'd be pretty amazing. All right, here we go. Okay, that's what we got. So we'll do it again next week. I mean, we got to keep an eye on it because, I like you it. said, there's three and, teams that don't have anybody in the portal, and you think there's going to be people in the portal. People will be landing at different yes, schools correct. by this time next week. So it'll be fun to see as we rate – them going, we will give you what I, I don't know. We're going thumbs up, thumbs down on the move, or we'll, we'll come up. Stock with up, stop down. There we go. <laughs> All right, let's do bold. Oh, geez. oh my goodness! All right, bold prediction recap. We're good. You want to hear this after this? Santa Sackick, Buccaneer Source Network. This responsible gaming message is brought to you by the Tennessee Lottery. When you play the lottery, it's important to play responsibly. Know your limit and spend only what you can afford. Set a budget and stick to it. And remember, as long as you're having fun, you're always a winner in our book. The Tennessee Lottery is a proud supporter of National Problem Gambling Awareness Month. To learn more about problem gambling resources, visit tnlottery.com. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers have reportedly agreed to terms with free agent wide receiver Antonio Brown. Warriors, Clay Thompson is out for the season again. This time it's a torn Achilles. Houston loses 27-17 to an 0-5. Now 1-6. And stay the same lifeless organization. Wake Forest basketball's got his man's new coach, Steve Forbes, from East Tennessee State. And this move makes sense on a number of levels. Conference canceled fall sports on Thursday with the hope that those athletic teams can resume in the spring. The SOCON season is done. 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 They told me the turkey wasn't enough for Thanksgiving. He went and got two stops on a brownie to watch play. Just disgusting. Just disgusting is the sound of all these bumpers and commercials. Oh. He needs honey mustard. Yeah. Makes it, it better. Honey mustard. You're going to love this one. Let me start with the really most complicated and difficult to keep track of bold prediction for the week. So I had 15 of the top 25 losing over the four You didn't period. count the uh, ones that didn't play and Thursdays. had the forfeit. I did not. I did, did not. Did you count the forfeits? Okay. And I got exactly 15. Thursday, I'm, I'm, Oklahoma lost to Kansas. West Virginia lost to Oklahoma State. Oh, Texas, I gave himself an extra day. I had to think about Thursday. I, I only counted four. from Friday. I said four. <laughs> Those uh, three all have to rank opponents. Number 14, Villanova lost to Georgetown. Number 22, Virginia Tech lost to North Carolina. Then Friday, Oklahoma State beats number two, Baylor. Colorado beats USC. Really, Georgetown was what got me over the hump. Saturday, they dominate number 17, Creighton, by 25. Ohio they State edges three ranked Michigan. Teams, right? Ohio State edges Well, Michigan. they were both ranked, so it doesn't matter. Uh, no, it actually does because uh, you made no stipulation on that. Illinois over Iowa. Texas over Oklahoma State. Georgia Tech over well, Florida I mean, State. Both are ranked. You're going to win that regardless. Exactly. Well, I mean, you didn't, again, you didn't push back. Uh, no, I didn't. I'm so just like saying 15. it didn't matter one because you're going to win one exactly. anyways. And the one that sealed it didn't was matter. a battle of ranked opponents, Illinois over Ohio State. Give me a dub. Chalk it up. That's one this week. For you, you got uh, you got two. Yep. Congratulations. Yep. Citadel by 28 or more over Western. Nope. No. That's no, no. Remember? Remember? Uh, I did, you I, changed it. No, no, no. BMI by 17 or more over. Which is your fault. Yeah, it is. Which is your fault. I talked you into it. I'm a giving guy. You know, I'm a giving guy. Otherwise, I would be tied if I hadn't talked you into changing that. That really is your problem. Stanford over Wofford. You got that right. 37 to 31. Third in a row. That was impressive. 37 to 31. The one he did not get right. Quay, uh, 50 or more scrimmage yards, more than Devin Wynn. Wynn, 152. Quay, 88. Uh, I had 120 passing yards or less for Furman. 119. Yeah, that was. uh, Oh, beautiful. 
Well, and, and, 15 and, exactly on the rank team. No, no, no. So, oh. so here's even better. Uh, Sisson threw for 120. Yeah. It was the negative one That's yard right. pass. That's right. That's a Luca. Yeah. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> it's a negative one yard pass. Uh, the one I did not get, North Dakota State by 50 or more over Illinois State. They won by 7? <laughs> it was a 21 to 13. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah was, I knew, uh, I knew dicey there for a second. Did you happen to see the uh, Nichols State, Sam Houston State? No, number seven versus number twelve, and number twelve, Sam Houston State won seventy-one to seventeen. Yes. Twelve over seven in a ranked game, seventy-one to seventeen. I was once told that the numbers next to a team's name mean nothing. I still don't buy into that. But truly, in this year, spring football, twenty twenty-one, pandemic, people have opted out. And it's clear that nobody knows, right? What was it? Eleven ranked teams lost in the FCS week one or two or whatever it was, and I got. Number 70, number 12 by 54. Well, and, and this week there's uh, four of the top six teams play each other. Oh, yeah. So we'll see how oh, that yeah. goes. Is it all of the Missouri Valley or something? Oh, of course. Yeah, of course. North Dakota, North Dakota State, South Dakota State, and some other slapping. All right, great. All right, Samuel Sidekick. Buccaneer. Sports Network, back Thursday.